Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you. Um, if you have uh, your bulletin, you can open that. There's a place to take notes inside. A couple of verses that are going to be two of the verses that we're going to look at today um, as we dive into God's Word. And uh, this is going to be a doozy. Okay, just up front, we are going to go on a ride. Um, we're ending our series today, Complex, and so I'm going to preach the most complicated message that I could possibly think of. Um, this is about meeting God in the mess of life. Um, we're going to talk today about actually one of the most complicated stories in the Bible. It's about a man named Job. Okay, it's a man named Job. Um, Job had the most amazing life. Job was wealthy. Job honored God. He loved his family. He served his community. Um, he was prosperous. He was successful. Everybody in the city loved him. Uh, he was in, an incredibly generous blessing to others. Um, and then tragedy struck. Tragedy struck. Uh, he lost all of his wealth. He lost his crops and his cattle. He lost his business. And he lost all of his sons and daughters in a freak, tragic accident. Um, Job ends up sitting in the ashes, covered with boils and sores, uh, and even uses a piece of jagged pottery to scrape the itches and the sores on his body, dying for some relief. Um, it was truly, truly awful. Um, but it got worse. There was a point at which Job's wife um, said to him in Job 2, verse 9, says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And so his wife says, give up. Well, then his friends show up and they spend 34 chapters, okay? Literally 34 chapters, just about the entire book, arguing with Job. There's Job suffering and they want to argue with Job about what happened and what went wrong. And basically their whole thing, his friends tell him, look, we know that God is good. We know that God blesses good people and curses bad people. You must have done something to deserve this. And so his wife says, give up. And his friends say, you did something wrong. We know it. And Job argues with his friends. He says, look, I haven't done anything to deserve this. And they go back and forth around and around and around and around. It's frustrating and confusing to read. Um, and then you try to understand it, and you're like, what's really going on here? Um, and so, and the readers of the book, so if you read the book on your own, you start from the beginning, we actually get to see that there is something else going on. There is something behind Job's suffering. There's something behind the scenes. And to be honest... This something will probably make many of you very, very angry. Okay? In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, these are the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. God then says, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, 
Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And this is when Job's suffering began, when he lost his wealth, his business, and his children. Then later he was also covered with sores, as I said, scraping the sores on his body with jagged pottery, sitting in the ashes, just dying for someone to help him feel even this much better. But wait a second. Wait, wait. What the heck is this? Right? Anybody wondering that? Anybody going like, what the heck is the devil doing in heaven? Why is he talking to God and why is God talking back? Like, what is this? Is this normal? Huh? Did you guys know this was in the Bible? There it is. What do we make of this? How do we understand it? I mean, it's like God and the devil are up there in heaven literally playing games with people's lives. I mean, it's one thing to say that there's a Satan out there, that there's a devil and he tries to abuse us, but here God is playing along with him. Like, how in the world can God do this? And so if that's what you're thinking at this point in the story, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I mean, it looks like Job is just a pawn in their game. Like, God is bragging about Job like Job's part of his fantasy football team, you know? And Satan's like, well, yeah, you stacked the deck in his favor. Of course you're going to score higher than me, you know? Come on. I mean, that's what's going on here. And I think even worse than this story about Job, what lingers in my own heart and mind is, wait a minute, hold on. Is this what's going on behind the scenes in my life? Like, is God up there doing some sort of game with my family, my job, my relationships? Like, is this really what's going on? Now, if you're wondering that, then you're now in the place where Job is, in the ashes, with the fragmented pottery, without anything else. Job had no idea what was going on, but Job responded in three ways to this inexplicable tragedy in his life. And we're going to look at those three ways, and then we're going to see something else, right? Because we need to see what Job does, and then we need to see the thing that happens after those three things. And what happens after is going to change your life. It's going to change everything about the way you think about suffering. It's going to change everything about the way you think about tragedy, okay? But first, we need to talk about the three ways that Job responds, okay? First, Job responds to tragedy with faith. So if you want to write something down, you can write this down because this will encourage you. So he responds first with faith. Um, The next verses we're going to look at are in your bulletin because they're they're kind of the core of Job's response. But Job 1, 20 to 22, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Right? Huh? I thought fall on the ground and like cry like a baby. Kick his hands, his legs, his arms and legs and scream, God, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Are you crazy? God, I can't handle this. Where are you? 
And yet Job worships. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. And it wasn't just once, but in chapter 2, after Job's wife told him to curse God and die, this is what Job says back to his wife. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Again, wow. Incredibly powerful faith. Job had faith in God. He worshipped even while he suffered, even in the face of ridicule, right? When his wife was ridiculing him, he was committed to trusting God and worshipping God, both in good times and in bad. And Job's response in his tragedy invites us to respond in our tragedy with faith. All right, the second thing that Job responds with is lament. Lament. Job actually spends an entire chapter of this book, 26 verses, um, saying one thing over and over and over and over again. And it is, I wish I was never born. Spends a whole chapter saying, I wish I was never born. Job 3, verses 1 to 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul who long for death, but it comes not? Job, in the midst of his incredible faith, we have this honest lament. Um, Job didn't pretend that the pain wasn't there. He acknowledged that God was taking away. He acknowledged that what was happening was this great evil to him. He felt the pain and he expressed it to God and to his friends. He went to God with his pain and poured his heart out. Friends, so often we think that mature faith isn't affected by suffering and we're wrong. The most mature faith believes what the Bible says, which is that suffering is real and the most faith-filled people honestly and painfully cry out to God, seeking to connect to him in the midst of their pain. And so Job responds with lament. And then third, he also responds with hope. He responds with hope. You've got to see some of the things that he says in Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. He says this. This is the middle of the pain, the middle of the arguments with his friends. He says, for I know that my Redeemer lives and that at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. So Job is saying, I know what's coming. I know God is in the midst of this. I know this is undeserved. I know that it's going to end. And I know that one day I'm going to be face to face with my God. 
In Job 21, verses 29 and 30, Job says, Have you not asked those who travel the roads? And do you not accept their testimony? That the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued in the day of wrath. So this is Job responding to his friends. His friends are telling him, look, Job, you did something wrong. This would not have happened if you had done everything right. You claim to be righteous. We thought you were a good guy, but clearly you're hiding something. Clearly there's skeletons in your closet. Clearly there's something going on because otherwise this would never have happened because evil people get this done to them. Righteous people are blessed. And Job's like, nuh-uh. And they're like, uh-huh. And Job's like, nuh-uh. And they go, uh-huh. I mean, this happens for 18, 20 chapters. And then in chapter 21, Job says, haven't you talked to the people that travel? Like the visitors that come to our town. Have you ever asked them what's going on in the world out there? It's not the way you're saying. People that have traveled know that the evil man is sometimes spared in the day of calamity. Right? Sometimes evil people prosper. Sometimes the wicked do well. Like this is hap- I mean, this happens out there. And if you don't know it, it's because you're ignorant, he's saying to his friends. This is so important because Job makes this point in four or five different places throughout the book. Right? Because his friends think, oh, if you're wicked, you suffer. If you're righteous, you prosper. And actually, that's the general message of the book of Proverbs. There's a whole book of the Bible that's devoted to saying, generally speaking, this is kind of how life works. But Job is saying here, and even speaking his voice into the entire Bible, that that's not always the case. This is incredibly important for you to know, for you to remember when you're suffering, when tragedy hits. There are times when tragedy hits because we've done something and God is disciplining us. But there are times when uh, that's just not true. There are times, time and time again, tragedy hits, not in punishment, not in discipline, but tragedy hits because the world is broken. Tragedy hits because there are other purposes at play. And so the idea that, you know, you do well and you prosper, you do evil and you get cursed is a proverb. It's not a law in the universe, okay? There are times and places when the wicked prosper and the righteous do suffer. And so this is super helpful. We need to know this, right? We need to know this. We need to have this assurance when we're suffering tragedy um, to know that it's not always because of something that we did. Suffering doesn't mean that we should stop having strength or having faith and hope, but we can actually lament to strengthen both our faith and our hope. Um, Then Job says this in chapter 23, verses 10 to 14. This is Job saying, talking about God, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. So Job's saying, look, you can accuse me all you want, but I'm telling you, I've looked in my heart. I've looked at my life. There's nothing. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not perfect, but I didn't do anything to deserve this. And when God tests me, I'm going to come out as gold. Job says, but he is unchangeable and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. And so here we see again this hope. Job knows that God has plans 
for him. Job knows that God is doing something and he's going to complete that work. So he holds on to that hope and you can too. And then in chapter 31, verse 35, again, I'm just trying to give you this theme of hope. He says, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. The indictment of his adversary. This is interesting because in the Bible, Satan is called our adversary. Could it be that Job's hope-filled, faithful laments are piercing through the darkness? Could it be that Job's hope is catching a glimpse of what his eyes can't see yet? That maybe Satan is accusing Job of only following God so he could be wealthy? In the midst of this, Job hopes and longs for God, and his hope can fuel us in our tragedies. And so Job has been, so he responded with faith, with lament, and with hope. Okay? And into that faith, lament, and hope, God finally speaks. Okay, if you get through 37 chapters and you aren't lost or confused, God finally shows up. Um, My son Ryan and I have been reading through the Bible, and we read through Job um, some time ago. And uh, throughout the book, as we read it, Ryan would say, Dad, what is God doing here and why is he doing it? And I would say, well, we don't know yet because he hasn't told us. And Ryan's like, ah, like when's he going to tell us? I'm like, well, not till chapter 38. And he goes, what chapter are we in? We're in chapter 14. Oh, come on, it's going to take forever. And so when we finally got to chapter 38, I was like, hey, Ryan, chapter 38. He's like, yes, can I pray? Because I was praying before we read, right? And I'm like, sure, you can pray. And this is what he prayed. He said, God, thank you that you started talking and that we'll finally find out what you're doing. Amen. Amen. Um, And so what does God say in Job 38, verses 1 to 3? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Seems kind of harsh. I mean, with all due respect, but I mean, if, if you're reading this like I am, I'm like, ye. I mean, especially for someone who's been through what Job has been through. I don't know, it seems kind of harsh. Um, and yet, Job has been acting demanding. Job has sort of assumed the judgment seat, and he's spoken as though he knows what's best and what's the right thing to do. And so God comes to him with a series of questions, really asking, Job, do you really know enough to make these statements to me? Like That's what he's asking. Do you really know enough to make these statements to me? And God begins his interrogation of Job. He says, Job, where were you when I made everything? He said, I am the master of the paths to life and death. Job, do you control the weather? Like, I have power in the weather that can feed the earth and even correct evil. 
And these are secret things that only I know about. You don't. How about the stars? Can you control their movements? Do you rule over the heavens? Because I do. And what do you know about animals? Can you feed the lion or even the raven? You know how mountain goats give birth, right? Oh, you don't? Did you let the wild donkey run free? Oh, oh wait, no, that was me. Um, does the ox serve you? The ostrich is a terrible mother. But oh, can she run like the wind? What's the purpose in that? Oh, you don't know. Okay. Did you make the hawk and the eagle the kings of the air? Come on, Mr. Critic. Let's hear what you have to say. And Job clearly doesn't want to, but he responds. And Job says, okay, I'm an idiot. I've got nothing. I spoke, but I shouldn't have. And I won't speak any farther. When Job finally stood before God and saw God for who he was, all of his questions sort of just fell to the wayside. Um, he was lost in utter amazement as to who God is. He was, he was just embarrassed to even question God. And so there's a principle here that I put up here on, oh, maybe not. Here's the principle. That Job didn't need to know why. He just needed to know God. Job didn't need to know why. He just needed to know God. And most people who have any familiarity with the book of Job believe that this is really where the book of Job ends, or the message of the book of Job ends. Because after this, God then returns to Job and blesses his socks off so that everything that he has in the beginning of the book of Job, he has double at the end. And Job lives happily ever after. And the message that most people get from Job, the message that most people give when they teach Job, as I've heard it taught, is basically this. You don't need to know why. You just need to know God and just kind of shut up. Because if you were standing before God, you wouldn't ask these questions anyways. And there's a little bit of a shame thing that goes on where they make you feel bad for asking what you feel like might be honest questions. Now, it's true that Job has this reaction. I mean, so the one guy who had every reason to ask why, when God shows up finally, Job's like, oh, I just shouldn't have said anything. And so Job quiets down. But what's amazing is that God doesn't stop. Like God actually goes farther. Um, God actually does answer the why question in a way that blew my mind when I finally understood this and gave radical meaning to the book of Job and to my own suffering and to my own tragedy and yours. Okay, God comes back after Job says, look, I shouldn't have said anything. I'm embarrassed I even spoke. God says, wait, hold on. Dress for action like a man. I'm not finished yet. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, God's going to pummel him. Like as though he hasn't already. 
But chapters 40 and 41, God brings up two more creatures. Okay, he brings up behemoth and Leviathan. Behemoth and Leviathan. When you read chapter 40, behemoth is this incredibly huge, powerful land creature. It says it was the first creature that God even made. Crazy powerful. And God says to Job, he describes this this creature to Job. And then he says to him, hey, Job, can you tame him? How do you do with behemoth? And the implication is that God is saying, look, I put a leash on him and walk him around like a puppy. Talk about the power of God. But then God ends his long speech. God ends his four or five chapter discourse to Job by talking about one last creature. Okay, this is the final thing that God has to say when he breaks his silence in Job's life. Okay, this is the way that God finishes his response to Job. He brings up Leviathan. He describes Leviathan. And God says, can you pull Leviathan out of the water with a fish hook? Could you even harm him at all? And as God describes Leviathan, the description actually opens up heaven itself so that Job can finally understand everything that has happened to him. And as Leviathan opens up the heavens, we get to understand something about our own suffering and our own tragedy. And this, my friends, has changed my life. Because look how God describes this creature. In Job chapter 41, verse 15, it's, God says, His back is made of rows of shields. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. What is this? What is what's covered with scales and breathes smoke and fire? It's a dragon. Why is that significant? In the Bible, in the rest of the Bible, it teaches us that the dragon is Satan. Look at this verse in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. Is there a garden anywhere here? Um, That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth because he was in heaven. And his angels were thrown down with him. So the end of God's response to Job, he tells Job about Satan. Job, let me put it this way. One of the things that's going on in human life is an age-long battle. And it's not between you and the dragon. It's not you and the serpent. It's actually between me and the serpent. The serpent is still trying to win. This is me and the devil fighting. And you know what? We are fighting over you. 
The devil wants to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. The devil wants you to turn your back on me and follow him. The devil wants you to, he wants to overcome you. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to leave me. He wants you to follow his ways instead of mine. And Job, I have made you my champion. Job, I have put all of my eggs in your basket. I've put my reputation, I've put my right to rule the universe in your basket. Did I let him do this to you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. God, in this description of Leviathan, he's peeling back the curtain and he's telling Job, he's helping Job to see that there's something greater going on in his tragedy, in his suffering. There's, so much, there's something so much bigger that comes from his suffering. What God, in fact, has done. And we know this because we've read chapters 1 and 2 where the conversation between God and Satan happens. Here, we see Leviathan. God is revealing to Job that his suffering is part of God's war with Satan. And Job is his champion. And this blows my mind. Right? The idea that God would choose a human being as his champion to demonstrate to the devil that the devil can't win, right? That Satan, in his accusations against God and against us, that Satan, in all of his efforts to make us suffer, cannot overpower God's goodness and his love in our lives. God chose Job to be this incredible champion of faith, and this includes This is actually born out of the struggle and the honest frustration that Job is experiencing. I mean, Job is truly called by God to be God's all-star, to be the champion. And this is where the book of Job brings us. Because guess what? We are the champions, my friends. I asked Luigi if he could play that song after the sermon. I don't think he, that's why he was up so late, but I don't think he got it. Friends, this is what's going on. This is one of the dynamics that's going on behind the scenes in the tragedies of your life. It's painful to say this because I know the tragedies that some of you have gone through and are going through. But I want you to know, I want you to know what Job is teaching us is that there's a battle going on for your heart and your soul. And God is putting his eggs in your basket. God is saying to you, trust me. Have faith. Believe that I haven't let you go. Lament. Please pour out your heart to me and to your friends. Don't be by yourself in your suffering. Open up about your suffering. Tell me about it. Tell me everything on your heart. Get into community. I mean, Jake talked in his own testimony. Community is such a huge part 
of him coming to Jesus, coming back when he fails. I mean, it's true for all of us, isn't it? So God says lament and then hope. Hope that I have a plan for this. Hope that I've got a purpose behind this. And know, know that if nothing else happens, if you see no other good come out of your holding on to me and staying true to me and worshiping me in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your frustration, if the only, if you don't see any other good come out of it, except that, except that you hold on to me in the middle of it, then that means that because of you, I win. That means that because when I said, hey, have you considered my servant Jake? There's no one like him on earth. Have you considered my servant Ed? There's no one like him on earth. Have you considered my servants Larry and Maria? There's no one like them on earth. Have you considered my servant Barbara? There's no one like her on earth. Friends, God is up there rooting for us. God is up there in his infinite wisdom, okay? He knows what we can handle, what we can't handle. We have this promise that's in the Bible somewhere, right? It's somewhere in there that says, God's not going to give us more than we can handle. And you're like, dang, I don't think this is true. And it's like, well, wait, hold on. If this is true, then this must be something I can handle. And you're like, I don't think I can handle this. God, hello, where are you? This is too much, right? And yet God in his infinite wisdom, like I think all of his description of creation and the animals and plants and all these different things are God saying, look, I know how the world works. I know how you work. And I know I'm, active, I'm actively fighting against evil in the world. And right now, you get to be center stage. Right now, you get the opportunity to show the devil and anyone who follows him that I do love you in the midst of the pain, that I am with you in the midst of the pain, and that you're willing to endure even this and not give up. When you do that, we win. When you do that, I win. When you do that, you win. When you do that, the world wins. When you do that, our church wins. When you do that, every person that you know gets to see a glimpse of Job and Job-like faith. When you respond to tragedy, and you can say, I hate this. It absolutely is awful. I can't, I don't think I can handle it. And yet, I still love God because I know he has a purpose. I still love God. And they'll say, how do you know? Well, there's a story in the book of Job. Well, how do you know that's true? You can say, you know what? Because God himself came and showed me. Because when God came to earth, he didn't live apart from my suffering, but he entered into my suffering. And through Jesus, he took on all of my suffering. He took on suffering that he didn't deserve at all. 
suffering that I deserved, he took. And he was raised from the dead. And just like Job was blessed twofold, Jesus was blessed a thousandfold. And there is this promise, friends, that if we follow Jesus and respond with Job-like faith, with Jesus-like faith, we too will be blessed a thousandfold. Not just in the life to come, but we will be strong. We will be bright, shining lights in this church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city. Friends, this is what God is wanting to do in the complexity of the misery of our life. This is one of the things that we have to remember. This is one of the ways that God is active. The next verse is Romans 16, verse 20. Look what this says. You might not have known that this was in there. I know you think Jesus is supposed to crush the serpent, and he does. And yet somehow the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. When you respond to tragedy with faith, lament, and hope, you will be crushing the devil under your feet. And you'll be walking in the strength of Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, if you didn't come, if you didn't suffer all of the atrocities of the cross and come out in resurrection glory, then I would not be able to believe and follow Job. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for showing us that there is a way through suffering. Thank you for working in a man like Job who is incredibly honest and so powerfully filled with faith and hope that he walked through the valley of the shadow of death because you were with him. Give us his faith and his lament and his hope and help us to encourage each other. Sometimes we don't have hope for ourselves but we can believe for others. Help us to encourage each other. And I pray that you would come near to everyone here, those who are in the midst of tragedy, and show them that you are with them. And for those who are here and and they're not walking with you yet, they don't know you, Jesus, I pray that you would show them who you are, this pathway through tragedy clinging to you and seeing your purpose. Help us to remember in the midst of our suffering that you are calling on us to be your champions and to walk in the strength of our champion, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.